John chapter 21 in the last couple of years of my life has just become a very, very beautiful chapter to me. And I was just so thankful to God that that's the timing of where I was in my, my quiet time. So it was very natural to turn there. Um, John 21. Um, very short background, just quickly, just so we get a picture in our minds of what's going on here. This is just this uh, event, ch- chapter 21 of John the events we're about to read about, are taking place um, just a few days after the crucifixion, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's, uh, it, it's, it's that very dramatic time, but it's sort of the aftermath. It's, it's the in-between time before his ascension. And, you know, something I, I'm, I'm realizing more and more as, as I get older and, and as the Lord continues to, to speak into my life, is that, you know, all the words that we have captured here in the Bible, they're not wasted words. Sometimes there's certain passages we, we get so used to it, we just kind of race through and read through, at least I do. But they're not wasted words. The, the, the Lord put these down for a reason. He's revealing to us things about himself, about his character, things he wants us to know. And, you know, I'm so grateful that so much of his teaching to me, it's not like reading a science textbook, A plus B equals Z minus 3 or something. You can tell I'm not a math guy. Um, it's not like that. It, it, it's, it's, it's so often delivered to us in the form of a story, in the form of human experience, in the form of God intervening into this world, into the creation. And I can read these stories, and a child can hear them and appreciate them. An old person, a scholar, middle, it doesn't matter who you are. There's stories in which God reveals truth to us about himself. So I'm very grateful for that. John chapter 21. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, And he revealed himself in this way. I even like this opening sentence. It's just, it's very inviting. This is Jesus again revealing himself. You know, he'd spent the past three years, day and night, with his disciples. They ate meals together. They traveled together. They'd spent so much time together. But in these last few days, in these last few weeks... The disciples only see Jesus once a while. It's this in-between period, this in-between time. And this is now just one of the few times when Jesus reveals himself again. And it says, he revealed himself in this way. And from that, I take that there's a purpose. There's a reason. There's going to be something. Jesus had a reason for revealing himself to his disciples in this way. Verse 2. Simon Peter... Thomas, called the twin, Nathanael of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. They said to him, we will go with you. I'm going to pause for a moment right there. Most of you know the story about Jesus and his disciples probably quite well. When Jesus first began his ministry, a little over three years, around three years before this event right here, he'd gone around and he was, uh, began teaching, and John the Baptist was at work preaching, teaching, baptizing, and he began to meet these guys who'd come out to hear the word, 
and there's this connection made with them. And they turn out to be his closest followers, his disciples, the, the twelve. And if you remember, several of them were fishermen. And Jesus called them away from fishing. Now, if you called me away from fishing, that would be very easy because I actually don't like fishing. Don't throw anything at me, please. If anyone here loves fishing, I'm not a fisherman. I, yeah, I deserve it. I deserve it. But to me, I'm not a fisherman. So to call me away from fishing would be easy. I'd be, okay, let's go. But if you're a fisherman, generational, you learned it from your father who learned it from his father who learned it from his father and your livelihood, your existence, everything about your family is about the smell of fish and taking care of boats and washing nets and mending nets. It's what you do. It is you. You are a fisherman. They left the fishing to follow Jesus. It says they left their, their father, their dads in one case, left their dad, walked away, and followed Jesus. That was a significant, incredible time. They left all that they knew, all that they were, all that sort of defined who they were. Left it, walked away, and followed Jesus. And Jesus said, I will make you fishers of men. And for three years, they went everywhere with Jesus. They were with him all the time. The good, the bad, and the ugly. All the events, the healings, the miracles, the casting out of demons, the, the walking on water, being in a boat on the storm. All those events, they were with Jesus. And so what happens? After seeing their hero, their Lord, the one they just loved the best, after seeing everything collapse of what their hopes, their expectations were, they see him betrayed by one of them. They see him given over to the Romans. They see him humiliated in the most horrible, horrible, horrible way. Ongoing humiliation. And then they see him, they watch as he's put to death in one of the most cruel means ever devised by human beings. They watched all that. Their Lord, their Savior, their friend. They witnessed all of that. And so these men, uh, even though they've now seen Jesus' resurrected body, they've seen him, they've, they've actually touched him, they've had, I think these guys are in such turmoil, such a state of probably depression and just not knowing which end is up. What do they do? Simon Peter goes back to what he's comfortable with. And, and I, I think more and more of Simon Peter as the alpha male. He's the strong guy that just goes and does things. Peter is the man of action. There's probably alpha males in this group here this morning, and you just do things. Come on, you know, let's get going. Let's get moving. And Peter's the man of action. And Peter, in this time of bewilderment, in this time of, I think, truly, truly being completely unsettled, he goes back to what he knows, and he says, I'm going fishing. It's what he knew. It's what he grew up with. It's what he'd been called away from. And you know, we can be in places like that in our lives. I have been in a place like that in my life, not for fishing, remember? But, but, but I've been a place in my life where I didn't know what end, end was up. I, I, I just had this sense, where am I at? What's going on? I, I don't know. You go back to something you're familiar with. You go back to something you know. 
you, you just you fall back on that you're familiar with. It's, it's easy. You just do it naturally. It's like breathing. Peter says, I'm going fishing. And as the alpha male, all the other, these other guys said, we'll go with you. Very natural, very easy to do. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Now again, I want to bring back this to me for a moment. If I went out fishing all night and caught nothing, no big surprise. I don't even like fishing. I wouldn't even want to be there. And if I was out fishing and didn't catch anything, I wouldn't be surprised. That would just be okay. Well, we went out fishing and didn't catch anything. These men grew up and lived on this lake. It was their livelihood for generations. They knew it. They went out expecting to catch fish. They went out there. This is what they do. They go out and they catch fish. That night, they caught nothing. A little aside, I am not a fisherman, okay? So, uh, I've said this a couple of times, but I'm thinking, what in the world are you going out at night for? Like, at least if you're going to go fishing, pick a nice sunny day, and you go out fishing, you know, and you, even if you don't catch anything, who cares? You're out in a boat, you're just enjoying, relaxed. This was, this was work, this was livelihood. And so, for them, uh, a great reason would be that if you catch fish at night, you can sell it first thing in the morning fresh to people who want to buy fish. I, I, I read that somewhere and I thought, that makes great sense. I, I actually appreciate that logic. So quite likely, this is when they often fish. Not all the time, but it would be a very common thing to fish at night. I, I like that reason. They caught nothing. Verse 4. <clears throat> Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Something I like to do when I'm reading God's Word is I, I truly try to picture this in my mind. I try to get the movie camera going. I, I want to I be there. I want to see what it was like. So how many of you have been at a lakeside very, very early in the morning? Okay, we've got just dawns just breaking over the hills. It's, it's very quiet. It's a quiet time of the day early in the morning. Even in this first century period of time without the noise of cars and trains and airplanes and all that stuff in the house, still... A, a day builds, doesn't it? If you're ever up throughout the night and you a day builds, you start to hear noises, then there would have been cooking fires, people, you would have heard things around the shore as the world starts to wake up. Well, it's really, really quiet still. And, and in, my picture, in my mind, I can just see that glow above, you know, the light starting to come. We're told in a few verses that they're about 100 yards offshore, so let's just say at the other end of a soccer field. There are little boats out there, they're fishing, they've been fishing all night, and there's a figure, there's someone there, and they can just see there's someone there at the shoreside, okay? And we're told it's Jesus, but they don't recognize him, they can't tell. It's just half light, and they see there's someone there, but they can't tell it's Jesus. <clears throat> Verse 5, Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? I'm going to pause at that again. Okay, guys, again, get the picture in your mind. Jesus is only around 33 years of age. These guys are probably the same age, maybe a couple of them a little bit younger, some of them older than him, and he calls them children. Well, that's kind of interesting, right? Um, but when I think of who's doing the speaking, when I think of the Son of God, when I think of the Prince of Glory, the creator of the universe, we're all children. And even if you're here today in your 80s and 90s, we're all children to the Lord. And he says to them, children, do you have any fish? They answered him, no. And in and and my mind, I picture it kind of like, no. Well, why do I picture that? Because they've been fishing all night. 
And they're not like me. They didn't go out there for fun. They went out there to achieve a goal. They went out there with a set purpose. They went out there to catch fish. And so in my mind, it's almost a grumpy no. He said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. Now, now, now me and my flesh, if I was them and I was there, I'd be like, cast you on the right side of the boat. That's, that's what I would be thinking, right? I'm a professional. I've been doing this. What do you mean? All night we've been fishing. And I want, it was not for fun. It was what they do. And Jesus says, you know, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. So perhaps in spite of the feeling they had of either resentment or like, what do you, who do you think you are? Whatever they were thinking. Again, I would have had those feelings. They do it. So they cast it. And now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. Okay, this is a miracle. There's no question about it. I could tell you, cast the net all day. You could tell someone, cast the net all day. And the chances of that happening are ridiculous. They cast the net, and there's such a quantity of fish that they can't haul it in. They realize this is not normal. That disciple whom Jesus loved, and when we hear that in John's gospel, we're taking it to be John, the writer. That's how he referred to himself, the disciple whom Jesus loved. That disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, It is the Lord! Um, and I'm going to pause here for a moment, too. I'm going to go back just for one moment into Luke's gospel. And there's a very similar incident in Luke chapter 5 that ties in with this. And this, that's, this, this one's now happening at the very, very beginning of Jesus' ministry. And Jesus had been in a little boat. He was out there with Peter. And Jesus was teaching from the boat. And, you, and we ask, why is that? He was teaching from the boat because his voice carried very well to the crowds gathered on the shore. And so he teaches from the boat. And in that case, after he finishes speaking, in verse 4, he says to Simon, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. In verse 5, Simon answers. So here's, here's really what goes on. Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night. We toiled all night and took nothing. But at your word, I will let down the nets. So in obedience to the Lord, in that instance, he lets down the nets. And when they had done so, they enclosed a large number of fish and their nets were breaking. I got a feeling that flashes in their minds all at once. And John just says, it's the Lord. He remembers that three years earlier. Do you remember that time? He's thinking in his mind, that time when, when, when the Lord said, throw your nets. And, and, and we've been working all night. And there's this huge catch of fish. It just happened again. And I think he's brought back to that moment just in a flash. And then Simon Peter does something a little strange. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work. Again, I want to emphasize, when I go fishing, I'm out there for fun. These guys are out there fishing for work. Okay? So he quickly puts his coat on. I, I don't get this. He put on his outer garment for his strip for work and threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, but about a hundred yards off. 
I think, Peter, in this mindset of bewilderedness and everything, I don't get why would you put your cloak on and then go jump in the ocean? I, I, I would think you'd go in the ocean dry and get your cloak later or, or wait till you come to shore. But Peter, in his excitement, in his zeal to see Jesus, because he has that deep in him, is he wants to see Jesus. He just puts his cloak on, jumps in, and swims ashore. They're going to continue. The, the other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far off from the land, but about a hundred yards off. Remember we just said, so they're quite close. Verse 9. When they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it and bread. And, and, and I, I want to pause here for a moment, okay? Believe it or not, this is one of the thoughts that triggered this whole message. This is one of the reasons I wanted to talk about this this morning. And you might think, wow, what a strange verse to want to speak about. Let's not rush through this. Let's just ponder this for a moment. My, my wife could testify to you that um, I have a little bit in me that's a pyromaniac. I like making fires. And I can't really do it anymore because we live up in Seashelt on sort of a city-sized lot. But for many, many years, we owned acreages. And part of the job of owning an acreage is cleaning up brush or, or clearing new land. And I built lots of fires. And I like making fires. Okay? It's something I like to do. And sometimes, once we had a great fire going, we would cook hot dogs and do that. Barb and the kids would come around and we would do that for fun, right? One of the first things that tweaks in my mind is that when they got on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it and bread. And the thought that strikes me is this. Jesus has been here for a while. You don't instantly get a charcoal fire. A charcoal fire means you've actually prepared the fire, you've built up the fire, and you have glowing coals. It's not even smoking anymore. You have glowing coals. Jesus has taken time to cook fish. He has bread ready for them. I tell you, I also get a pang of guilt when I read this. Wouldn't my wife love it if she came home after a busy day and there I was and I'd taken the time and there's a meal cooked and food is ready after a long day's work. Now, let's get this straight. The, the, the man who has just come through the most terrible ordeal of human existence since the creation of the universe, the living prince of peace, the king of glory, is betrayed. He is given into the hands of the Romans. He is beaten, whipped, and scourged, crown of thorns, mocked, spit upon. His own disciples leave him. His one disciple denies him three times. He is the one who has taken the time to show incredible love in a very, very tangible way. He's prepared a meal for them. And he's, he's so calm. He is so inviting to them. Bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. And, and, and again, I get that picture in my mind, alpha male, he's just, he's got to do something. So he just climbs in there and by himself, he's going to pull that great big net full of fish. It's a lot of weight. I probably couldn't have done it. He does it. He pulls it down because Peter's got to do stuff. 
because Peter's that kind of a guy. So he pulls this net of fish. And they go out of their way to say, full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. All these details are given to us to tell us, this is exceptional, this is not normal, this is miraculous. Something remarkable is taking place here. And we should be aware of it. We should think about it. We should weigh this. Now, none of the disciples dared ask him, Who are you? They knew it was the Lord. And I wonder, why does it say it like that? Well, of course they know it's Jesus. But do you remember after Jesus' resurrection, in the different accounts of the Gospels, Jesus has changed somehow. He's now in his glorified body. And they come after a period of time to realize it's Jesus. They know it's Jesus. But somehow there's something different about him that makes them wonder, that makes them question, who who is this? And, And I believe, in a way, we could take a picture of that a little bit for ourselves in future glory. Though you will be you in heaven, there'll be no question that you are you, you will also be transformed. And for me and some of you, that's a really good thing. <laughs> that's supposed to be a joke. Uh, in, in heaven, we won't be old and crippled up. We won't have poor eyesight. We won't have all the ailments that trouble us. We will be new. We will have glorified bodies. And I believe we're getting a small picture here of that already beginning. They, they don't quite recognize Jesus. They're really sure it's him. But there's something here, you know. None of them dared ask him, who are you? Do you not see that? There's something interesting here, okay? There's, there's a glimpse, I think, about the future. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them. And so with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. Again, let's just, let's just feel the weight of this for, the, for a moment, shall we? Do you remember just before he's crucified, Jesus, and they're in that room together, celebrating Passover together. And Jesus is clearly the master. He is clearly rabbi. They call him Lord. And yet Jesus takes off his outer cloak, wraps it around his waist, gets down on his knees, and washes those stinky feet of all those men. You know, that that was a job for the lowliest servant to wash the feet of people. Because... It'd be stinky enough doing your feet and my feet today, but in that day, in that era, either walking around in bare feet on, in dusty roads conditions or just sandaled feet, the feet really, really are not nice. And yet Jesus does that. Jesus gets down and he washes their feet. And then we believe, don't we, that he lays down just hours later. He goes through, he endures all the punishment, all the shame, everything. He's hung upon the cross. He dies for his great love. And even though these same ones that he loves don't show themselves very well, do they? They don't. When when, when you read the passages of Jesus' crucifixion and all the Gospels, they kind of abandon their Lord in that moment of crisis. They're overcome with fear. They're overcome with doubt. They're so unsure. How would that make you feel if you're in their place? I believe we'd be just so humiliated. We'd feel, and, and Peter, remember, he says, 
I'll never d- deny you, never. Oh, and then just a couple hours later, he denies him full on, full on three times. One, and one of the gospels says he's calling curses. Wow, wow, wow. Can you remember a time when someone really let you down, someone you love, and they really, really let you down? They either failed in a promise, they perhaps even in a way betrayed you. Some, they really let you down. Do you have just such warm feelings towards that person? Do you just want to go and love them and hug them and tell them how much you love them? Or does your flesh cry out, unfair? How dare you do that to me? Why did you do that to me? That's what my flesh says. My flesh says, that's not right. My flesh gets angry. My flesh wants justice. And Jesus is taking care of his children. And they all did it. And he's just blessing them. He's just pouring out. The creator of the universe, the very son of God made flesh, is just giving and giving and giving. I love this picture. He's taken the time to make a fire of coals. He's cooked fish. He's made bread for them. He's even given them a miraculous catch of fish when they couldn't fish. In a way, you think about it, they've almost turned their backs, not quite, but they've almost turned their backs on this whole three years of ministry. Going back to fish after everything they've seen and done, the miracles, being with Jesus for three years, and they go back to fishing? Think about it. And yet Jesus is so gracious with them. He's just so inviting. Come on, have a meal. And he feeds them. He does it all. He takes the bread, gives it to them. Same with the fish. He's taking care of his children again. It's what he's like. I am so grateful that my Lord is like that because I've blown it. I've, I've walked away. I've done all these things. I've denied him all the different things that we see here. And yet I'll tell you, my Lord responds to me the same way. Every time I cry out to him, every time I get back into his word, every time I pray to him, reach out, he's right there welcoming me, welcoming me. Come on, get back here. And he's like that with you. It's what he's like. He's beautiful. He's so good. He is a savior that you need, and he's a savior that I need. Lovely. Verse 15, when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And I'll just for a moment get into a bit of the semantics here. I don't want to dwell on it. But when he says, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? We're not entirely sure about the question he's asking here. Um, He could be saying, um, do you love me more than these other guys? Like, do you put me ahead of your friends? That's one way we could look at this question. Yeah. You, you could also say, it could also be, do you love me more than your fishing, your career? Do, do you really love me more than your heritage? Do you love me more than that? Um, or he could also be saying, do you love me more than th- these other guys love me? Do you love them better than they love me? We're not really sure. All of them would be valid. All of them would be valid. Peter's response, he said to him, Yes, Lord, 
you know that I love you. And Jesus responds. He says to him, feed my lambs. Wow, that's kind of interesting. I don't see any sheep in the picture. Do you guys? That's no sheep here. Not that we're told. Feed my lambs. What? Verse 16, he said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus says to him, tend my sheep. He says to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And let's just pause for a moment. It, it, really and truly, as we look at this, it's, it's, it's clearly Jesus reaching out to Peter right where he's at. Of all of the guys here, Peter is feeling the most guilty. Why? Because he'd been the loudest and the proudest about how he would never deny the Lord. Never. And he meant it. In his mind, he thought, I will never deny you. And then the weakness of flesh is revealed, and he loudly denies him three times. So three times Jesus asks him, do you love me? And the third time hurt, because now it's just pierced right in. Three times denial. And then three times, do you love me? He said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And that's coming from Peter's soul. Peter knows better than anyone else what a shameful performance he had just done. He knows better than anyone. But he says, Lord, you know everything. Like, you know right inside my soul. And you know that I do love you. Jesus does know it. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. And you know, as this is truly a reinstating of Peter, very clearly, very gracious, even though it's to the point and must have, it did hurt, it hurt, but it needed to be done. Look where Jesus' concern is. You know, most of us, certainly myself, when I go through hard times, I just think about me. What about me? God, don't you care? Why am I going through this? Why does everything bad happen to me? That's what I think lots of times. I might not say that out loud, and you might not guess that by looking at my face. But that's what goes through my mind lots of times. Why does everything bad happen to me? Jesus' concern is for his sheep, which is you and me. He hung on a cross for you and me. He endured all that shame for you and me. But guess what? Right now, this moment, this second, in heaven, he cares about you and me. He loves you and me. That's his concern. The very best thing he can give to Peter, the best thing to reinstate this man, is you love my sheep. You take care of my sheep. You guard my sheep. Because that's who I love. That's what I did all this for. That's why I endured the shame, the mocking. That's why I hung on a cross. That's why I gave up my life. is for my sheep. So the very best thing he can give to Peter is take care of my sheep. Jesus owns you. Jesus owns me. He loves us that much. We were bought with the highest price ever. You're that loved. 
you're that cared for. You're that thought about. Wherever you are at this morning, wherever you are at this morning, come to Jesus. Come to him. He loves you way better than you know. He loves me way better than I understand. His love, I just love all these these physical little things. He cares about details. He does, and he knows about details. And he says, come, come, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. You know, that's just, that's just a great description of Peter. Peter just took care of himself. Self-made man, alpha male. Yep, Peter just did it. And as this whole story is unfolded, we see where that got him. But Jesus said, you know, I tell you, you used to dress yourself, walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. And you know, um, wherever you are in life right now, we, as life goes on, we will have ups and downs. We will have times when perhaps the, 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 the world is just at our feet and we have everything laid out in front of us and everything's working out grand. And then the longer you live, you'll have times when it seems like the bottom falls out and when everything goes wrong. And there'll be times like you feel like you're in control and there'll be other times in life where you feel like you got no control at all. And you're just spinning, your head's spinning. Your, your life seems to be going in circles. You know, Peter was this guy who was in control and God still was going to work phenomenal change in Peter. And every time I read uh, the two little letters we have of Peter, First and Second Peter, I'm just overwhelmed with how much God changed him. That bold, self-confident guy is changed into this, ready to fight. Remember, he's the guy that goes and takes a swipe and takes the ear off the one, uh, the one soldier there. And you're never aiming for an ear, right? I, I, you know, you're aiming for the head. Peter was going for the headshot. Who aims for an ear? <laughs> no. That was just the guy pulled away, whew, and there just all he gets is the ear. Peter's a fighter. Peter knows how to do things. But God shows him a very different way. His master, Jesus, shows him a totally different way, a, a way of real power, a way that can change the world, a way that can change individual hearts and mold and, 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 and bring eternal glory. But Peter still had to learn all that. And the answer is, follow me. That's the answer. That's the answer for you. That's the answer for me. Follow Jesus. Verse 20, Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved, following them. Again, that's a reference to John. The one who also had leaned back against him during the supper and said, Lord, who is it that is going to betray you? So there's a little aside reminding us of who this is. Okay. I'd like to pause and just consider that for a moment. I, I've heard a lot of people say that John's kind of boasting here because he's saying, yeah, the disciple that Jesus loved. And, 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 and I suppose there might be something to it, but I don't really think that's what's going on. The, the more I consider this, um, don't you think that Jesus loved Peter too? I know he did. 
Don't you think Jesus loved Nathaniel too? I know he did. Don't you think Jesus loves you too? I, I, I want to tell you, if you are Christ's disciple, you are the disciple that Jesus loves. And he has proved it over and over and over again. You are the disciple that Jesus loves. Puts a wonderful perspective on this, doesn't it? Jesus, you did all that for me. Yes, I did all that for you. For you. Think of it that way. Puts a very positive thought. Jesus suffered and did all these things for you. Verse 21, when Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? Jesus said to him, if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. And I like the exclamation mark. Don't worry about that guy. What you need to worry about is you following me. That's what's important. Don't worry about all these side things. Don't even worry about other people. Don't worry about where they're at. You follow me. Verse 24, this is the disciple who was bearing witness about these things and who has written these things. And we know, oh, sorry, I missed a little part there, didn't I? Sorry, verse 23. So the saying spread abroad among the brothers that this disciple was not to die. Yet Jesus did not say to him that he was not to die, but if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? So there's a little aside there that, that tells us something that was happening in the first century. And because of this event, the rumor had gone around that, oh, you know, John's never going to die. He's going he's to be alive until the Lord returns. But John, in writing this letter, wants to get things straight. And he's saying, uh, that's actually not what Jesus said. Jesus didn't say to me, you're going to remain alive until I return. That's not what Jesus said. Jesus just said, if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? So there we have some bit of information written really specifically to Christians living in that area, living 2,000 years ago, directed right towards them. What's that to you? This is the disciple who is bearing witness about these things and who has written these things, and we know that his testimony is true. Now, there are also many other things that Jesus did were every one of them to be written. I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. And the, the, the parting thought I have in this this morning is, do you know, we, we talk about that we're going to be with the Lord forever in heaven. And, you know, there's been lots of times in my life where I thought, well, it's certainly a lot better than being in hell. Given the option, heaven, hell, I'll definitely choose heaven. But I have occasionally had the thoughts, and particularly when I was young, I don't know, sitting on that cloud, ring, 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 playing a little harp, you know, after a little while, it's going to feel, oh, wow, not going to feel so good. But do you know something? Our Lord is so infinitely greater than that. Um, we, we live in an amazing time today with science. And, you know, at times, science can feel overwhelming. But I think the proper way to look at it is we get to find out that God is infinitely greater than we ever imagined. Infinitely. And it doesn't matter if you go down into the microscopic 
we, we find out that this world that we're just looking at and we can touch each other and you can you know, drink water and eat food, we find out that it's made up of things so infinitesimally small, we can't see them, but there's all these almost worlds going on in our day-to-day life and we're not even aware of it. And in a similar manner, the, 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 the more technology that we develop to be able to look out, we go, the universe is just so vast and it's full of such incredible things. The longer I live as a Christian, more and more I go, it is not going to be boring. It is going to be incredibly exciting. And part of the excitement, if we had the time, in a few minutes you're going to hear a bit of testimony, but if we had the time to go around to every individual here and you felt the the comfort and the confidence to share what God has done in your life, the grace poured into your life, we could take up an awful lot of time of sharing. And if you think back and you remember, wow, God, you did answer that prayer. Wow, God, you, you did this. You did that. So many things in my life. Imagine every one of us here. Now imagine someday with millions of believers and every one of them able to share detail after detail of how God has, has been gracious, how God has intervened in their lives, how God's brought them back, how God's restored them, how God's blessed them. You could just keep going on and on and on and on. And I think that's the thought here that John wants to leave us with. You know, just even in their lives, the things they saw Jesus perform, the things they saw Jesus do, it, he said you could just keep writing books about all the things he did. And I hope you can take that as an encouragement this morning. Take that as a thought of how good our Savior is, how great our Savior is. I, uh, I don't know everyone who's going to be baptized this morning, but, you know, I tell you, not that it's worth anything, but I'm here. And the Lord has never let me down. In the times of my life, even when it's felt like I'd sort of turned my back on him or it even felt like he was ignoring me or it felt like he was far away, as I look back, he's never disappointed me, ever. He has never let me down. At the hardest times of my life, when I turn to him, I get hope welling up inside of me, joy welling up inside of me, peace pouring into me. I've had times where I'm thinking, I should be out drinking Jack Daniels and being really mad right now, but here I am full of peace and joy. Here I am thanking God for my life. Here I am saying, Lord, you're good. My life sucks right now, but you're so good. I know, I have confidence that goes beyond this life. I have confidence that goes beyond the grave. I have confidence that says, you love me and and that you've poured yourself out for me and you know how to rescue me. So I want to encourage every one of you going into that cold water in a little bit. It is worth it. There is no life to trade. There is nothing else. You cannot put a price There's no price greater than what has been paid for you. Amen? 